Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here today and hope you're ready to study the Bible because that's all we do for the next 30 minutes is take your questions and try to find answers in the Bible to them. We get questions about specific verses, specific doctrines, uh, questions about where something is. We get a lot of questions about life and living and uh, what the Bible has to say about families and all kinds of things. So uh, we'll answer any question you've got that ties into the Bible somehow and see if we can find you an answer. The way you can get a hold of us is there's a phone number and a website on the screen at all times. Use those any time to get in touch with us, and uh, you direct this program. So that's the way we operate. When I say we, me, and Toby Levering are here. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. I'm Steve Tandy, and we're here to answer as many questions as we can in 30 minutes, but we always let you have one to work on during the program. Here's your question for the day. How many sons did Jacob have? And for your uh, little hint there, Jacob's name was later changed to Israel. So how many sons did he have? And we'll give you an answer at the end of the program. All right, looks like you drew the first question today, Toby. How about getting us started? Be glad to. Uh, Question is, sometimes I get evil and ungodly things in my mind. I keep praying, uh, but they still get in there. Why does this happen? Uh, someone once said that, uh, made this analogy, and I've always thought it was helpful, that your mind, being one of the most powerful creations in our created world that God made, is one of the, uh, it's like this most fertile field, and it will produce anything that you plant in it. And it will produce an abundant harvest, or it can produce poison, or it can produce weeds. And it's up to us what we plant in our minds. So we have to be very careful. Uh, Proverbs says, guard your heart, for out of it flow the matters of life. we got to be very careful with what we let into our minds and into our hearts. Sometimes those things happen. Uh, we just, it's unable to, uh, you know, we're watching TV and a commercial comes on and an image gets in our mind that we didn't plan to be there and it's just planted there. Um, and I think, uh, generally speaking, we should just uh, form a, a guard and be protective of the thoughts that we allow into our mind. And that's affected by what we watch, what we read, what we listen to, our entertainment, the people in our lives. Are they negative? Are they gossipy? Are they complaining? You know, those kind of things. If you've got all of these things putting seeds in your mind, uh, that's going to be what your mind produces. So be careful. Guard your heart. That's uh, very important as you uh, journey with uh, and, and the Christ-following life. We have to guard our mind and guard our thoughts um, because that's uh, what we're, our minds will produce. 
Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 is not on the screen, but you can look it up at home. It says, uh, Paul wrote, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So it's really up to each of us to be careful what's planted in our minds and pay careful attention to it. We may think that those things do not have an effect on us, but they most assuredly do. Uh, that's why company pay pay for millions of dollars to get a commercial spot in the Super Bowl uh, because they know if they can create a creative thought to, to plant that seed in your mind, uh, you're more likely to buy their product. So I would say, certainly you mentioned prayer, that's a good thing. But beyond that, just simply giving diligence to what you allow into your mind, paying attention to the seeds which, which are planted. Because once they're in there, very hard to get out. But I do think it can happen. I believe that by prayer and uh, by the Spirit's help, you can. Romans chapter 12 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Of course, we need the help of, of God and uh, Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit to help us with that. Another good thing I'd say is, uh, fill it with good things. Fill it with wholesome entertainment. Fill it with people who are positive, who are, who are God-fearing people. Uh, fill it with uh, God's Word. Um, Steve's going to tell you about signing up for the Bible Correspondence Course. Sign up for that. Those are a way to plant good seeds and, and, and flush out some of the bad stuff that's in there. So those are some suggestions. I hope that's helpful for you. It's a good question. We should often be thinking about how to guard our minds and our hearts. All right, if you want to know how did Jesus walk on water? All right, let me explain this miracle to you. Uh, how did Jesus walk on water? I'm chuckling because you can actually uh, get on the websites and ask questions about how, how did Jesus do this miracle or that miracle. And there are people that try to explain it scientifically. And they say, well, somehow the surface tension of the water uh, was changed there a little bit, or it was in an area of the the sea where there were mud flats, and he really wasn't walking on the water; he was walking on the mud flats under them. And I've read all sorts of crazy explanations. Uh, let me ask you: Have you ever heard of an oxymoron? Okay, an oxymoron is two words that don't go together. Uh, like you say, something is seriously funny. Uh, those two words don't really go together. Something is clearly misunderstood. Those two words don't go to, go together. Well, explain miracle. That's an oxymoron. You can't explain a miracle. A miracle is by definition unexplainable. A miracle is superseding the laws of nature. So to say, all right, Jesus superseded the laws of nature by walking on water, so explain to me how he did that. Well, that's an oxymoron, folks. Uh, that's what a miracle is. It's something we don't understand, can't explain. So, viewer wants to know how did Jesus walk on water? Uh, very well, apparently. <laughs> he, he did just fine, uh, and it was a miracle. End of story, end of paragraph. <laughs> okay, angel question. Yes, sir. Do we have do we have guardian angels? Uh, my answer to that is possibly. Um, we've talked about angels on this program. Get lots of questions about angels. It's a, it's a very fascinating subject, and people have devoted many hours to the study of where they appear in the Bible and what they do. And 
even going beyond the Bible and developed all sorts of theories about how they work and how the spiritual world works. Uh, the Bible just never gives us that much insight, and we want to be careful. I think there's a reason that God didn't give us all the detail is because as human beings, we are prone to worship something. And there's uh, certainly angels at some level are higher than us. They're not God, uh, but they, they do things that we can't do. And I think if we were given all the details, uh, we, the danger would be that we would worship angels instead of worshiping uh, Almighty God. And uh, that's something that Scripture clearly warns against. Uh, it's a fascinating subject, but we just aren't given a lot of detail. Uh, there is one Scripture that kind of indicates that we may have uh, some angel, whether you have a personal assigned angel. The Scripture never says that. Uh, whether you have uh, that one angel stays with you from the, the time you enter into your relationship with Christ at baptism throughout your life, I, the Scripture doesn't say that either. Uh, here's what the Scripture does say. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Um, so, again, this goes back to the idea which we always talk about on this subject, that angels are servants, and uh, they serve in various ways, and no doubt that they serve uh, with God's people. And what they do and how they do it, well... Uh, that's an explanation Scripture doesn't give, but it does say uh, that they are sent, and whether it's all the time or just from time to time, but we knew that uh, as ministering spirits, uh, if God wants something to be done, to be accomplished, He needs some uh, spiritual servants to go about achieving that, you can be assured that there will be some to do that. But we don't get much detail. Um, and the scriptures are, are just pretty silent on the matter. But it's an interesting thing to think about. So hope that helps. All right. There are questions like that that we can't answer very well because the Bible doesn't tell us. But the Bible does tell us uh, everything we need to know. In fact, the Bible itself says that. It has everything that pertains to life and godliness. So what we need to know about God and about our life is in the Bible, and that's why we think the Bible is something we ought to all spend time studying. Uh, maybe you are a regular Bible student and know all about it and correct some of our answers sometimes. Maybe you've never really got into Bible study. Uh, if you're in that category or if you just want to review some things that you already know, we've got some great Bible study tools that we're happy to share with you, absolutely free of charge. Here's a course on the screen. There are eight lessons in it. Very basic, good overview, non-denominational, no church creed or anything, just Bible study. And here are some lessons that we have beyond that, that once you get through the first introductory course, uh, you can get a lot deeper into Bible study and keep studying the Bible for a long time with Know Your Bible Study tools. Uh, once uh, you, we, uh, you're done with each course, we've got a, a handsome certificate we'll get to you that you know, recognizes your accomplishment, and we've also got some online courses. Uh, this is a course that uh, we've recently added that you can study on your phone or your tablet or any way you want electronically. Just log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and you can sign up and get started studying uh, wherever you are and not waiting for the mail or uh, returning things through the mail. 
Uh, now, we pay the postage, so all of the courses are absolutely free, but some people would rather study online, and we're happy to make that available to you. Phone number, website on the screen. Use those anytime. Tell us what you want, and we'll get it started for you. You can study the Bible with us. Question, uh, viewer says he's got a problem with a verse. I have trouble with 1 Peter 3.21. It says baptism saves us. Uh, I got a problem with that because I think it's faith by grace. All right, a couple of things to deal with here. First of all, a viewer admits, and I appreciate that, that they have trouble with what this verse says. Well, what the viewer is saying is it doesn't agree with what I've been taught or what I've come to understand or what I've figured out. Uh, this verse just doesn't fit in. I've got trouble with it. Well, that's not unusual. Uh, Folks have done that for centuries. Uh, the trick is, you know, there's scripture still there, and we've got to figure out how to reconcile it. Uh, either there's something wrong with the way we're reading that verse, or there's something wrong with what we've formed as our doctrine or our belief. Let me give you an example. Martin Luther uh, was the one that came up pretty much with the idea of faith only. Faith only is what saved us, saves us. And he was responding to the, the doctrine where baptism would become just a legal, formal thing that no, had nothing to do with faith, which was wrong. So he said it's faith only. Baptism doesn't have anything to do with it. Uh, there's no way any work or anything can have anything to do with it. Well, James, the epistle of James, said it's not by faith only that we're saved. And Martin Luther had trouble with that. It didn't fit his doctrine that he had come up with. So what he did was he said, well, James is a straw epistle. It's worthless. We, we ought to ignore it. In fact, he thought it ought to be taken out of the Bible because it didn't fit what he had come to understand. Okay. You can't do that, folks. Uh, you have some trouble with First Peter 3.21. we got to reconcile that. you got to figure it out. Let's read it. First Peter 3.21 says, Baptism which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, now, let's think through it. Uh, set the stage. What Peter is talking about is Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives, eight people. And Peter says eight people were saved they were brought safely through the water. And he said, that's like baptism. Baptism saves you. Okay, so now let's see if we can understand this. Uh, let me ask this question for you. How were the eight people on the ark saved? Well, I got an answer for you. There's a lot of answers to that. How were the eight people saved? Some people would say, well, because God saved them. It was all God's doing. That's true. It was God's grace. God chose to save them. That's true. They were saved by their faith in God. That's true. They were saved by their obedience. Uh, Noah built the ark. If he hadn't have built the ark when God told him to, if he hadn't obeyed, he wouldn't have been saved. Well, that's true. He obeyed when he got on the ark. God said, get in the ark, close the door. Noah did it. That's true. That's the way he was saved. The ark saved them. Well, that's true. All of those things are true. 
So once we understand that, let's go back to what Peter said. And he said, that's what happened then. Eight souls were saved by water, through the water, by the ark, by faith, by all of that. So he said, that's like baptism. In fact, if you remember what that verse said, it said, baptism corresponds to this, the story of Noah. So, when he says baptism saves us, what's he mean? Are we saved by grace? Yes. Are we saved by our faith? Yes. Are we saved by our obedience? Yes. Are we saved by baptism? Yes. Because God tells us to do it, and when we do it is when he saves us. When Noah and his family got into the ark, that was when God saved them. Uh, It all corresponds perfectly to the story of Noah, and that's all Peter's saying. Now, bear in mind at the end of that verse, what Peter says is, he says, it's not the water washing away things. He said, it's your good conscience, it's your obeying God, and what saves you is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, that's the ultimate answer. We're not saved by anything we do. Uh, We're saved by the grace of God, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the death of burial of Christ is what saves us. But when it happens is when we obey Christ in baptism. So that's what Peter's pointing out. It's just like Noah's story. Uh, All these things are the right answer. And when you understand that, then you can reconcile 1 Peter 3.21 to the big picture of what saves us. Now, if you've been taught like you evidently have, or as you've studied, uh, the viewer that asked this question, is that baptism has no part in it, well, then 1 Peter 3.21 is a problematic verse. Uh, It doesn't reconcile with that doctrine, because baptism does have something to do with it. It's not what saves us, but it's when God saves us. So I hope that helps understand your trouble with that verse, and I hope you reconcile it with your doctrine. All right, what's your question? Well, uh, a challenging situation, a person asks uh, about a coma. When a person is in a coma, has God already taken them? Well, I can't answer that. We all know probably uh, stories, either directly or anecdotally, of people who have been in a coma for a long time, and, uh, and then one day they woke up and came to and were alive and and pretty much uh, able to function, and obviously uh, quite a bit of time had passed. There's many examples of that. So I can't say assuredly that that's the case every time. Uh, And I would say if you're in that situation, a doctor would know best. Um, Although even in many of some of those cases, uh, the doctors have been surprised. Um, It's a hard issue because the Scripture really doesn't address any of uh, that we know of no example of someone being in a coma. Uh, Paul said, "As long as we are in the body, we are away from the Lord." So, the, but the question is, when are they in the body? Um, you know, as a person in a coma, you know, now with technology, you can see: is there is there any brain function going on? Uh, is the is the body able to survive to continue on without uh, ongoing? machines doing all the work for them. Um, I kind of judge it by the hundred year ago test, you know, uh, if this person didn't have the medical technology 
and the advantages a hundred years ago, would they, you know, would they have passed? So, those are questions to consider, but certainly not uh, something that I can give in a three-minute answer uh, on television. Your doctor would know best, and I would certainly encourage you if you have a church home to to contact your minister and talk through it with them and pray with them. But the Bible simply doesn't say at what point God takes the the body or calls or t- takes the spirit rather the soul uh, from the body uh, the two are connected and how that works uh, no one knows exactly um, but we trust God and I would uh, that's the ad- advance or the advice I would give is you know one of the first rules of medicine is do no harm and so look at uh, you know the situation and Ask your doctor and certainly cover the situation in prayer and get advice from God's fearing people. But um, the Bible doesn't tell us uh, the difference in how we can know when a person has been taken. Um, so um, those those are the things I would tell you to do, and God bless you. All right. Why do some people think that uh, or say that the nails were in Jesus' wrists when Jesus said, look at my hands? All right, good question. Uh, Well, you can find pictures and people that uh, say something about the nails being in Jesus' wrist. In fact, I found a picture on the Internet here. Let's put it up. Uh, There's one with the nail driven through his wrist. Now, the reason some people say that is because archaeologists have found bodies or skeletons of people crucified or uh, pictures of them or drawings of them. And sometimes the uh, nail marks were there between the radius and the ulna bone. And that makes a sense if you're trying to hang the weight of a body uh, by an arm. Uh, that's a lot stronger place to put the nail than here in the hand. Uh, the hand is all fleshy and little bitty bones and would tear out pretty easily. Uh, this is a lot stronger. You've got the wrist joint and those two big bones, and that would hang a body a lot better. So archaeologists have found that, and they say, well, maybe that's the way Jesus was crucified. Uh, the fact is, number one, we don't know how Jesus was crucified. Romans did it all sorts of ways. Uh, sometimes they just tied the arm to the cross piece. Uh, sometimes they wrapped the arm around the cross piece and tied it on. Sometimes they tied it on and then put a nail through the hand. Uh, lots of different ways, and we don't know which one Jesus used. Uh, what we do know, however, is that when Thomas doubted and said, I won't believe until I see the nail prints, uh, when Jesus appeared to him in John chapter 20 and verse 27, Jesus did say, see my hands. So I agree with our viewer here. I'm going to go with hands because that's what Jesus said. Uh, but our viewer asked, why do some people say it might have been in his wrist? Well, because of archaeology and uh, it makes sense that maybe that was a better way to crucify somebody. But we've got some pretty good evidence. Jesus said there's nail prints in my hands. So I'm going to go with that and uh, forget the wrist theory. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up, viewer. All right, what do you got, Toby? Uh, oh, I, I got a church, a church ad here. <laughs> I got to talk about how to visit the Church of Christ near you. I'm sorry. Uh, we do mention each week a few churches that help us stay on the air because 
Churches of Christ provide this program. We appreciate that. And today we want to mention our friends, our partners up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, a great bunch of folks up there that have been uh, loyal supporters of Know Your Bible for many years. And uh, If you live in that neighborhood, drop in and visit Church of Christ there on Southeastern Avenue. Uh, meet a great bunch of folks and uh, tell them that you heard about them on Know Your Bible. Maybe you know somebody that attends that church. Uh, tell them you watch this program and appreciate it. Uh, whatever market you're in, there's probably a Church of Christ close to you. Uh, if you're looking for a church home, you'd be warmly welcomed at any Church of Christ. Thanks for viewing us and supporting uh, the ones that support us. All right, now your turn, Toby. All right. uh, the viewer wants to know, or it says, explain the power of healing in today's society. Well, uh, of course, if you read through the New Testament, there are a few examples of people being healed, genuine healings, mind you. I know there are some that claim in today's world that they have the power of healing, and you, you see them making quite a show of things. Um, I've never seen one of those that is what I would call a genuine healing uh, in other words, they, it was a, a, f a physical uh, sickness that you could see that was evident, a person that was well-known to have been sick for a long time. Uh, if that power existed, those guys should not be on stage uh, asking for your contribution. They should be in hospitals. Uh, they should be in cancer wards. Um, and that's there, there's a reason they're not, because uh, that healing, that type of healing, uh, even in the Bible, was pretty rare. Now, there were, there were times when it did happen. Acts chapter 3 is a good example where Peter and John uh, healed a, a, a lame beggar and uh, kind of got him in some trouble. But the, that man was well known. He sat there every day. People knew he was lame. People knew he had been afflicted. And their healing of him wasn't just about him. It was also to show that the authority that Jesus had given them, the Holy Spirit had given them, and it was to help people put their trust in what Peter and John were saying. So there was a reason for it. Now, can God heal? Absolutely He can. Can He do it supernaturally? Absolutely He can. The question is not can He. The question is will He? It's up to Him. And He decides the reason and the purpose for healings supernaturally and the purpose of them. So, when we see that in the early church, nine times out of ten, the purpose of it was not to bring glory to the healer uh, or to raise money, but simply to uh, spur the people watching and the people who observe that miracle to spur them on toward belief and faith in the Lord Jesus. And they were genuine healings. They were done uh, not like uh, charlatans that you see on television today. Now, again, I want you to understand, God may decide He wants to do that again in today's world. I personally haven't not witnessed that, but God certainly can do anything He wants. But when we look at Scripture, uh, the cases in which He does it are limited, and they're for a reason and a purpose. And, of course, the greater healing that He's focused on has nothing to do with the physical uh, sickness. Let's look at 1 Peter 2.24. This is what Peter said. He himself, being Jesus, bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by His wounds. You have been healed. And we're not talking about physical healing. We're talking about the spiritual healing that we all require 
uh, and that only Jesus can offer. So I hope that helps you a little bit. All righty. Thank you for your good answers today, Toby. And thank you for your questions, audience. And we always try to make sure we answer our question we gave you at the start. So let's do that. How many sons did Jacob have? Jacob, who later got his name changed to Israel. And most of you probably know he had 12 boys. And you can read about them in Genesis 35. Uh, obviously, they became the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, but he had 12 sons and a pretty dysfunctional family, partly because those 12 boys came from four different mothers. Uh, so there was a lot of problems in that family, and Joseph bore the brunt of a lot of it. Glad you've been with us today, and hope you come back next week as we answer some more of your questions. Till then, we hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.